Social Prep, it's Sunny Liardi, and welcome to the Panther Podcast. This episode, we will be talking all about presidential debates, a highly conversational topic, especially for right now. Coming up in the episode, we have interviews from Mr. Hendricks and Mr. Hogan of Seattle Prep, where they will be talking about the history of presidential debates, the current uh, presidential debates, and what they see will be happening in the future, so stay tuned. 2020 has been a crazy year, especially for politics. Earlier this month, we saw the first presidential debate of this election, and most recently, we saw the two town halls of the presidential candidates. Today is October 21st, with the second presidential debate being conducted tomorrow. While this should have been the third presidential debate, uh, President Trump had refused to uh, participate in the original second debate because they wouldn't be sharing the same stage. But in researching for this podcast, I found out that, um, interestingly enough, uh, when Kennedy and Nixon appeared for their third debate of the 1960 campaign, and they didn't even share the same time zone, let alone the same stage, as Kennedy was in New York City and Nixon was in Hollywood. I just thought that was um, really interesting and cool. But uh, moving forward, let's just jump right in and get into our first with history and collegio teacher, Mr. Hendricks. I want to start off with a two-part question. Okay. What do you see as the main purpose of the presidential debate? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. And I'm not sur- certain I agree with their purpose. I think the purpose is to try and vet uh, the differences of the candidates for the public, uh, especially the portion of the public that doesn't follow politics uh, quite as closely as some of us. What would you say are uh, the qualities of a debate session or the qualities of debate have to achieve those objectives? I think if we're going to be serious about debates, they should be allotted a lot more time than there are. I have some significant issues with the format uh, in which they take place. Uh, I would say that I disagree in some respects with the way that we treat politics, that it's kind of a game uh, and, and kind of a popularity contest. And so I think we get caught up in kind of the entertainment value of an actual substance that that uh, is important in a democracy. Topic selection seems to be a less talked about area. Uh, it seems to me that the topics reflect the areas that each campaign wants to discuss, maybe more than an objective view of the issues facing the electorate. Uh, with a country of over 300 million people, there will always be ambiguity as to the right topics. But there has been little progress uh, on the opioid crisis and little to no evidence of voter fraud. Uh, Yet the latter got airtime on September 29th. How would you say the fourth estate is doing? Well, the the issue is that the fourth estate doesn't actually control the debate. So there's a commission that puts them together and then there are negotiations on both parts. So the, the uh, generally it, it's two. Sometimes there's a question as to whether or not we should even get a third party involved, which is a whole other layer to this. 
of why do we only let the major campaigns into the debate? Why not expand it to other parties? So it's a negotiation that takes place, and that's why we sometimes get the structure the way it is um, and, and the topics that are given to uh, the various uh, uh, moderators. And I would say this year is worse than it's been in the past uh, because of a couple of reasons, one of which is the format I think that, that gets us the most broad issues. The town hall was canceled because of President Trump's uh, testing positive for COVID. Um, and the other is, is we end up with um, candidates that really don't want to use the debates to, 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 to vet issues. They want to use the debates to um, convince people to vote for them, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Uh, yeah, like you were saying, um, if we were to accept that the most recent presidential debate was unproductive, uh, to what extent does the quality, uh, for lack of a better term, of the presidential debates reflect an overall lowering of the level of debate in the country? Well, I, I, I think we have to ask our question of what is the value of, of a debate anymore, especially in this format, when there's so much access to information uh, than there was historically. So if you go back to one of the first kind of modern debates, which is usually the Nixon-Kennedy debate, which is the first one that was on television. Now there had been previous ones on radio, but those were, that was a time where there were three or maybe four broadcast channels uh, that were accessible to anybody. There was no cable outlet. There was no 24-7 news outlet that had that information available. What I would like to see is, given the fact that these two-minute segments are always out there, you give the candidates 15 minutes to try and explain their position on a particular issue, and I would like to see it. It was it usually is supposed to be chunked up into, we're going to talk about domestic, we'll talk about foreign policy, we'll talk about kind of town hall was the model that they've used in the past. But this seems to be much more domestic. And again, I think that had to do with the negotiations that took place. Um, so what was was what we saw on September 29th a byproduct of cultural and political trends, or was it a product of the individuals involved in the current moment? I, I would think it's a combination of the two. Uh, I, th I think we've been heading to this debate as entertainment model probably for as far back as, boy, that'd be hard to say, maybe Dukakis, um, Bush. So it's been a while. I've, it's been problematic for a while. Um, but at least there you didn't have the disruptions that were taking place. You have a candidate now that uh, he's, he's he, he, I mean, I think he, he views himself as the disruptive candidate. He's there to disrupt uh, our political system, uh, to drain the swamp uh, as a term. And so I think that, that that's a, not only a strategy, it's also kind of a political philosophy. Uh, and so you saw, you lost what most political followers would, would say is decorum in the, the debate. Um, I don't think any teacher would have allowed that form of a debate to take place in their classroom ever. Um, the moderators were, were a bit hamstrung by that, but I would always make a, uh, a statement that you can kind of make that claim for yourself. In doing some research for this session, I was surprised 
to find out that presidential debates have only been a part of 12 out of the 58 presidential elections. So they have not only been, um, not so much has been diminished by the television era as they've been a product of it. Before Kennedy Nixon, which is to say the first three quarters of the nation's history, how would you characterize the direct challenging of positions in these races? So, so you're asking like before the debates? Before, yeah. How would you characterize the direct challenging of positions? Well, the, the, I mean, it really was, I don't know if you, if you have ever heard the term the stump speech. Uh, I mean, there really was taking trains or before trains, horses, uh, and literally standing on a stump, standing on a box and, and projecting your voice. And so oftentimes our politicians early on were the best orators that could convince an audience of, of their, um, their argument. Uh, it, but it would just be them. And so that's where the kind of that 15 minutes comes into play. Like how well thought out are your positions? Um, now we see stump speeches still take place with all of the various uh, campaigning that takes place. But I would make an argument that most of those stump speeches are attempts to get onto the news that evening. And so they're kind of two minute bites of, of information rather than an explanation of one's position. Okay. Um, thank you. Those are all my questions. So thank yeah. you so much. Nope. That was Mr. Hendricks. And here is my interview with Mr. Hogan, a Seattle prep collegio and history teacher as well. I'll start off by asking, uh, how have the ways in which candidates campaign changed over time? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, campaign, campaigns in the United States have always been hotly contested, um, deeply personal, sometimes vicious affairs where campaigns uh, and their, uh, you know, supporters sort of uh, have always been kind of nasty in some way. Um, and so um, they started just with speeches. Um, and it's interesting, I've, I did a little research and I found out that um, the candidates themselves didn't really engage in debates or campaigning as much until the late 1800s. And what would happen is your, your friends and surrogates and uh, supporters would go out there and make the case for you. So I thought that that was interesting. Not that the candidates themselves didn't participate, they did, they would give speeches. But there was also a, a very um, kind of an emphasis on their supporters making the case. Um, but that kind of changed in the late late 1900s um, uh, with um, the the candidates themselves playing a bigger role in the debates. Um, and just a quick note, that really changed uh, in an 1860 election um, with Stephen Douglas and uh, Abraham Lincoln had these famous, um, uh, had had famous um, Lincoln-Douglas debates that had occurred in 1858. Um, and they had a series of seven debates that were three hours long. And um, that kind of um, was the first time that you saw these um, organized debates. And so there's sort of a tradition dating back to that, that Senate campaign. And it's interesting because those debates were three hours long. So one person would talk for an hour and then the person would get to have a rebuttal, the, next, the other candidate for 30 minutes. And then, and then that candidate would give their presentation for an hour, 
And then the other candidate would have a 30 minute rebuttal to that. So it was three hours long and they got big crowds. And uh, so those are really famous moments in, uh, in debate history that, um, that um, kind of started the, um, the public debate uh, part of campaign. Right. Um, yeah, you mentioned that the candidates in the 19th century uh, didn't have as much personal involvement. Uh, why do you think that was? Well, I am, I'm really not sure what that was, um, but I just think um, it might have been just the fact that um, the country is big and it is hard to get around to different places. And so with the development of technology and the ability to move and move around the country faster, it probably made it easier for candidates just to go out on their behalf and, uh, and appear in so many different places. But before that, you would just need your friends and allies to get out there because if you want to win Pennsylvania and um, you're in Virginia, that's a really long way to go in campaign. So I think that's the main, the main reason. Right. Um, and then you brought up Lincoln-Douglas debates. Uh, what effect do you see them having, um, that they had on the future presidential debates? Well, I think from my understanding, um, <clears throat> because they were popular and a lot of people were fascinated and followed them, that I think candidates liked the idea of doing them. And I do think that they set a precedent for those kinds of debates for, uh, for future debates, yeah. So I, I, think they, I think their popularity and impact too. I mean, Lincoln was a relatively unknown candidate nationally um, and those Senate debates in 1858 kind of increased his prominence. And it was, he was also part of a new political party. The Republican party was new in the 1850s. And so I think people saw that and saw what it did for the, for Lincoln's political reputation and stature and, um, thought it would be a good idea to, um, saw the potential of these debates increasing at, in, um, for increasing their candidate stature. So I think, I think they did have a big impact. Right. Um, jumping forward a little bit, what effect did the Kennedy-Nixon debate have on the 1960 election? And yeah. what effect did it have on future elections? Yeah, that's a really good question. The 1960 one's kind of the most famous because it was the first televised debate. And it was really interesting because um, the context for that debate is that Nixon was Eisenhower's vice president and, and uh, Eisenhower was president for eight years in the 18, 1950s. And he was pretty popular. And Nixon was in the lead in the polls um, leading up to the 1960 election. And so they have this first debate. Um, and the first debate took place on September 26th, 1960. And what had happened was Nixon was this relentless campaigner. And he had been sick. Um, and he was taking antibiotics. He had lost some weight. Uh, so he didn't look that healthy. Um, and Kennedy uh, um, had all kinds of charisma and um, was very savvy with the media. Um, and so that campaign, um, Nixon refused to wear makeup. Um, he, looked, he looked sick, he was sweaty, he hadn't shaved. And so it's interesting because uh, the people who watched it on TV thought Kennedy won the debate. Uh, he was tan, he was composed, um, he was ready for uh, the TV cameras and Nixon was not. 
And the people listening on the, so, so the people who watched on TV thought Kennedy won the debate and the people listening on the radio um, thought Nixon won the debate. Okay, and so that really shows the power of image. And so I think it had a really big impact um, on, um, on how campaigns were run that they had to take into consideration um, the image uh, and styling your image to meet the TV audience. Um, and that has had a huge impact on presidential races. So I think that was the first time it happened and it just showed, and Kennedy went on to win by just a tiny percentage. At that point, it was the, the closest presidential race in history. Um, and people say that, that, that those, his televised campaigns, there are actually four of them, were a factor uh, in his narrow victory in 1960. Um, how do you think campaigns and debate organizers today, or why do you think um, they place so much emphasis on sound bites rather than substance? It's really a great question. I think it's because the it works with the audience. Um, I would love if we judged them all just based on the substance, but um, the, uh, it, I, I, the simple answer is sound bites work. Um, a really good example of that is in, uh, in 1980, um, uh, um, um, not, not, yeah, 1980 with Ronald Reagan, who was a television actor, had been governor of California, um, in his debates, um, he just was so good at these zingers, these one-liners. And the most famous one was um, when he was debating uh, Jimmy Carter and he asked, are you better off than you were four years ago? And it was just so succinct and was so powerful because so many people heard that and um, really considered that question. And things weren't going that well in the country. Um, and Ronald Reagan ended up winning in a huge landslide, um, not just because of one liner, but it just showed the power of uh, the ability to, um, if you can get that message in, uh, regardless of all the other issues that go into being presidency, um, that you can have a big impact. So um, the short answer is, um, style, it works, you know, with the audience. Right. Um, yeah. How, how do you think the internet has and will change how presidential debates are conducted now in the future? And are, yeah. And debates are still um, a worthwhile means for voters to judge candidates? The internet has been really interesting. Um, we, you know, I was thinking about that. I th it's so new in human history. I think that we have all this information and I am really struck by how easily people's minds can be changed by what they see on the internet. And I don't think we're very good at, at thinking critically about how we consume the media. And so the ability to just instantly access the people, things people say and the memes that go out and Twitter and Instagram um, and TikTok, um, it makes it so that it's even harder to get at the substance of these debates um, because people can pick up on smaller, um, shorter phrases and things that happen in the debate, like the fly on Mike Pence's head, okay, which has absolutely nothing to do with him as a character, but but was just this interesting moment um, and then becomes this gigantic thing on Twitter. Um, 
And so I think it, it creates a challenge for us in a democracy for citizens to be critical consumers uh, of information because um, um, it just, um, people can kind of um, take little bits of information and make it whatever they want to. And I just don't think we as a, as, as a, as a country are very good at, at consumers of, of that information. Um, the future, I think we're just gonna be really challenged to be um, informed, um, thoughtful, um, reflective citizens given um, the, the impact that social media has had. Um, and I think your second question was about the future of debates. Is that right, how helpful they are? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is given it, all that, even though like style plays such a big role, I really think that they still still play a big role. Um, they were they were saying like, for example, the debate tomorrow night, there still are undecideds. Um, it is their last look. I think it's really important for um, someone who's a little bit behind in the polls to get back on the debate stage. Um, or if a presidential candidate has had had a bad debate. Um, it's better for them to get back, get, get back on stage in the next debate to try to uh, sort of correct um, or make up for, you know, a previous bad debate. Um, but I, I still think they're going to, I think they'll always play a role in some way um, because it's a way for people just to see how candidates act in person under pressure with the other person on stage and um, respond to questions. And I think, I think that even though style plays such a big role, um, it's still, there's still some substance to it that can help people make a decision about who to vote for. Um, you mentioned Twitter before. How has Twitter influenced the political process and does its limit on the length of messages help or harm uh, political discussions in our country? It's a great question. On the one hand, it's great. Um, you have access to people's ideas and thoughts um, instantly that you didn't have before. So potentially that's, that's pretty amazing because as a citizen of democracy, you need information. On the other hand, because it's such a short message, um, that can be easily manipulated. Um, and so sometimes we, our opinions and worldview get influenced um, by these incomplete or short um, messages that really aren't very helpful for us in a democracy. Um, and so I think it's fine if we become, like I said before, better at critically thinking about the messages we're receiving. And it doesn't seem to me like we're doing that great a job with that. Um, and so it has a huge influence. Um, and what I'm hoping is that um, we as a society can become better, you know, critical consumers of social media um, and not so easily influenced by a Twitter message or two. Um, so it's a challenge. Um, the technology itself probably isn't the problem, but um, we need to get better at, yeah. Um, thinking about and understanding the issues because it tends to oversimplify everything. And these issues are super complex. Um, and that's, that's a big problem. Uh, I would say one other thing too, and that is it has helped um, and contributed to the problem of people just listening to news that they agree with. 
And if you just subscribe to your favorite person's Twitter feed, you may not hear a, the, the diversity of voices you need to hear to make an informed decision. And so we lead to, you know, the oversimplification of really, really complex things. And that's also another problem. Okay, so we kind of dumb things down, it becomes oversimplified, and um, these really, really complex problems get even harder to solve because um, Twitter is sending out an incomplete picture of the, of the issue our society is facing. Uh, finally, how would you um, design the debate format for two candidates, or how would you edit the current format to make the um, process more efficient? Well, I think, this, so there's a new rule tomorrow night, and that is uh, they're going to have six, they're going to have six topics, and they're going to ask a question, and each candidate gets to speak for two minutes, and then uh, the, while that's going on, the other candidate's microphone is turned off, and so I think that that's a good, but then they'll have, um, there's 15-minute segments, so they're going to have 13 minutes of open debate, and so I think that that's okay if the moderator is allowed to actually moderate. So in the last debate, the moderator wasn't allowed to ask follow-up questions or fact check. And I think you need to give a um, kind of a, a stronger role to the moderator, moderator to um, A, ask follow-up questions and um, B, uh, make the candidates adhere to the rules. And, uh, and three, maybe do um, a little fact checking or um, if, if, if someone says something that is just either a lie or just incorrect or incomplete, um, I think those three things would really help make the debates a little bit better. Um, I like, the, I like the, the debate format, but I also like the town hall. So including the town hall, I think, really helps too. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode, Panthers. Thank you for joining us and stay safe.